Listen. Where two or three are gathered in his name. Let me say this to you. We are, this is the last week we'll be with Terry Sanford. We were supposed to be here for two weeks. They've been so gracious to allow us to utilize their building. Next week, we're, I, I, listen, I'm excited about going back and meeting in our building. Somebody say amen. All the renovations are, they're so cool. It won't be finished next week, but hey, we're going to get back in our building next week. But God is, God is, God is good. And I can't wait for you to see what those renovations look like. But you know what? More importantly, God is more concerned about renovating our hearts. Amen. And I believe today God wants to grant someone breakthrough because you came into this place feeling like you were just breaking into pieces. And today he wants to give you breakthrough. You didn't feel like you could do it. You don't feel like you have anybody that loves you. You don't feel like you have enough. Can I tell you what? You don't have enough, but you do have someone who loves you, who is more than enough in your moment of weakness. Can we get into the word of the Lord? Can we do that? Listen, before, before we ever even get to the text, I want to go ahead and give you the title. Is that all right? It's a little unusual, but that's what we're going to do today. Look at your neighbor and say, I've made up my mind. Look at your other neighbor and say, I've made up my mind. Look at someone that you didn't choose as a neighbor who now feels like you don't like them. And say, I've made up my mind. I like you. And then be seated. Then be seated. Let me just say this. I'm glad you're here today. For those of you who are tuning in from home, which is a lot of you because you've just decided that while we are meeting at a school that you're going to stay home and have vacation that's all right because I believe God is going to meet you right where you are if you're tuning in on our internet campus somewhere around the world whether you're overseas whether you are in a war zone I believe God is going to meet you right where you are here we are in this series. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. I'm going to say this. I'm all over the place today because every time I, I've opened up my word and, and begun the process of writing a message, it seems like it begins to just morph into something else. So just I'm going to hope that you can follow along with me. I hope production can follow along with me. But Here's what I do know. We're in week four of a series called Finding Joy, where we're looking at this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi while he was in prison in Rome awaiting his trial. And he begins to tell them how they should live their lives. And he uses his life as an illustration. He's saying that, listen, even though I'm a prisoner, I'm still a praiser. Even though my life is held down physically by these chains, my spirit is free. Even though I'm going nowhere, the gospel is going everywhere. Even though my life seems to be beyond my control, I rejoice in a God whose life, who, who never allows life to be beyond his control. So Paul writes this book that talks about the intoxicating joy of God. But yet, here he is at the end of this book. And when he gets to the end of this letter, how will he close it? What will he say? What is it that he wants the reader to, 
to see and to hear because, you know, it's kind of like the sandwich effect. When you write, you give them something that you want them to hear right out of the gate in the introduction. You give them the meat and then you put the last piece of bread on it for the sandwich, Richie. What's he going to say? You getting hungry? What's he going to say? And here's what he says in verse 4. Everybody say verse 4. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again in case you've missed it all of the other times that I've said it in this letter. Rejoice. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Our ability to rejoice is not connected to the scenery or the scenario in our lives. Our ability to rejoice is in spite of the chains that may be holding us down. Our ability to rejoice is not determined by the happenings in our lives. But rather our abilities to rejoice is caused by our, our desire to reflect upon the goodness of God and who he is. We do not rejoice because we are winning. We do not rejoice because we can see the finish line. We do not not rejoice because we are sick, because we woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But rather we rejoice in who God is. And who is God? God is the first. He is the last. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah. He is our Savior. He is our healer. He is our deliverer. He's my forgiveness. He's my second chance. Is somebody going to help me preach? If y'all don't get excited about this, it's going to be hard for me to preach. I'm just saying. And the more excited that you get, the quicker we get out of here. I'm just saying that too. That's all. <laughs> so what else does he say? Verses 5 and following. He goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. I preached a sermon out of these three verses a while back from a completely different vantage point. Isn't it amazing how God works? how you can look at a passage of scripture one time and look at it, at, at it again a few days later and it says something different to you. But it's verse 9 that today's message is built around. It's verse 9 that really gives us some context to the conversation. And here's what he writes. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Hold on a second. Notice that last line. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. You remember that peace that he referenced just two verses before? He says, and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. What he's saying right here is not only do you have the peace that God gives, but he says, but God is with me. In other words, we not only have the peace that God gives, but we have the God who gives peace. But it's a few words earlier in verse 9 that captured my attention. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Somebody say practice. Has anybody in here ever heard the old adage, practice makes perfect? Years ago, I preached a sermon that said practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. In other words, if you practice the wrong thing enough, you will not reach perfection. You are just going to make permanent something that is wrong. 
what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi is make sure that you don't lose your ability to rejoice in God just because of what's going on in your life. Don't pick up a practice that you don't need to pick up because if you lose your ability to worship God and to praise God for who he is, you'll miss what God wants to do in your life. You see, let me say it this way. He's trying to make sure that they don't begin to misinterpret God and who he is because of their problem because sometimes, you know, our problem will cause us to have skewed vision and we'll miss out on who God is because we're more focused about the problem. Sometimes we'll take the problem and we'll place it on the throne. We'll take God off the throne because the problem is greater than us, but we forget that it's not greater than him. Let me say it this way. If you misinterpret the Bible and you quote what you think is the Bible, but it's a misinterpretation of the Bible, you can say it, but it will not work for you. Paul is trying to just get to that place where the rubber meets the road. And he's saying, here's what you need to practice. He set his mind to making sure that he rejoices in the Lord always. And again, let me say it, I rejoice. Even though I'm in chains, even though I'm in a prison, even though I would rather be hanging out with you, I will not allow what's happening to me to rob me of my joy because my joy is my strength. He said, so I rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Can we talk about this rejoicing thing for a minute? Because I think what enables Paul to rejoice the way that he is, is because Paul has a lot of time on his hands. He's in prison. And when we have time on our hands, Paul is only doing what we all do as human beings. He's reflecting. How many of you know, sometimes when you are not preoccupied by something, your mind will begin to wonder. Reflection. Reflection can be a good thing, but sometimes it can be a bad thing. Hello? In fact, you can take out your phone and you can begin to go through your camera roll and, and you, can, you can begin to back up in your camera over the course of years. Yes, this is the iPhone 11 Max that I have in my hand. Don't anybody covet. It is... The God phone, if you don't have an Apple product, you need to make sure you get one. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't settle for anything less, all right? This is a shameless plug for the iPhone, all right? Anyway, so if, if, you go through, if you go through your phone and you look at the pictures that are from years past, sometimes you'll look at those pictures and you'll be like, "Woo, yeah, you're happy. You're reflecting upon a, a, a season that you were happy. But you can also go back far enough in your phone and maybe even see something that will remind you of a season that was not so good. You'll begin to reflect upon what happened, what, what they said about you, what they said to you, how you wished you would have said this and you didn't say this. And pretty soon you become occupied with another chain and that chain is called the chain of resentment. See, Paul could have easily have been that way. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He could have easily have said, I, 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 I wanted to preach the gospel. All I wanted to do was plant churches. All I wanted to do was go around and start churches and plant churches. But yet I'm in prison. I, I gave it all to God. And all I, I, I've got this chain. And, 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 and every single day I'm dragging this chain around. And this guard that's in here with me, it's just driving me nuts. All I wanted to do was go to Rome. And now I'm in Rome. And I wanted to preach, but yet I can't preach. I'm in prison. Come on. 
you know how we are. We're really good about practicing the negative things in life. I mean, it's September. We're two-thirds of the way through the year. And I thought by now I would have my schedule under control, but I don't. And, and, and my job is just wearing me out, and I can't seem to make my boss happy because the production that he requires out of me, I can't meet that demand, and it's wearing me out, and my kids are paying the price for it because I'm just worn out. Paul is, Paul is making this this statement to the church at Philippi who's going through their own difficulties but but he's saying listen all of these other chains that begin to connect themselves to you you've got to you've got to do something you've got to make up your mind you've got to set your mind to it somebody say i've made up my mind paul made up his mind when he began to reflect upon god he made up his mind that during that reflection it was only going to cause him to come to a resolution. And the resolution that Paul came to was that he was going to practice rejoicing. That is something that you have to practice. Because can I tell you something? Tomorrow you'll be hit with life. And you'll feel like saying something that you don't need to say. But what you need to do is rejoice. Because what is happening to you is, does not define who you are. Only God can define who you are. And so here is, here is Paul. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord even though he's a prisoner. He's talking about being a praiser even though he's in prison. And many historians believe that at this point when Paul writes this letter that he's been in a prison cell for four years. Four years with no resolve in his case. Four years that he's been waiting on a trial. He's been bouncing from court to court to court to magistrate to magistrate. But yet he writes something. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say to you rejoice. You know what Paul is saying to us. He, he's, saying, he's saying you cannot allow your spirit to resemble your situation. Mm, that's good. Let me say it this way. He's saying you cannot allow your spirit to reflect your situation. But instead, he said, you must allow your spirit to reflect your Savior. You must allow your spirit to reflect your Savior. I wrote, I wrote something down. Uh, listen, what he's trying to tell the church is, is this. He's trying to say, don't allow your outlook on the future to be defined by all of the events that have brought you to this point. Think about that. Don't allow all of, 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 of the events that have happened in your life to define the, your, your outlook on the future. So he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's refusing to allow what is happening in his life to dictate what is coming out of, of his mouth. He's saying, I, I'm gonna, I've made up my mind. I'm going to do something. I'm going to rejoice. I'm, I'm going to do something about my scenario. I'm going to do something about my situation. I'm going to rejoice. And when he refused to practice resentment and he made a resolution to reflect upon the goodness of God, it brought about that other R word, rejoice in the Lord, always. And again, I, I say rejoice. So I, I'm thinking about Paul. Paul could have easily have, have said, you know, I've gone through all of this stuff. 
I don't like any of this stuff. I don't like what's happening to me. This is not how I saw life. This is not how I I wanted to do life. But Paul says, again, you got to grab this. You got to make up your mind to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice because Paul refused to allow resentment to be a permanent fixture in his life. And he realized that if he would rejoice in the Lord, that the joy of the Lord would be a permanent fixture in his life. You see, Paul saying, I've gone through all of this stuff. I've been through all of it. I know what it feels like. It has been hell on earth. But one thing that I know is that it, just because I've gone through all of this stuff, all it's done is proven to me that God is with me. And the enemy may think that he's keeping me down. And chains may be upon me physically, but spiritually, my heart is in heaven. So what I've decided to do is not practice negativity, not practice complaining, not practicing in a critical nature, but rather I'm going to practice rejoicing in the Lord and I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice do I have any rejoicers in the house today praise the Lord for you few rejoicers so here's what's happening here Paul is awaiting this trial Paul has found himself in a position to where he has to teach the church at Philippi how to live their lives based upon his own illustration. And what he's trying to say is is this. He's saying the attention that you give to God will always exceed your expectation. Think about that. The attention that you give to God will always exceed your expectation. How many of you know the happenings in life have a way of destroying our happiness? Anybody? Preach back to me. The happenings in life have a way of destroying our our happiness. You know why? Because we tend to focus on what is happening rather than the one who can make things happen. And so Paul, Paul, he could have been that same way. Paul could have been like us. Paul could have, he could have complained. Listen, he pastored this church. He planted this church. He could have easily have said, you know what? I'm I'm kind of angry at God. I'm upset because this is not what I saw. Listen, let me tell you what's happening to me. What's happening to me is that I'm missing some meals up in this place. <laughs> let me tell you what's happening to me is I'm sick of this, this chain that's around my ankle. I've got some scar tissue around my ankle, and I, I don't like it. And, and I can't even watch my favorite TV show. I don't like any of this. You know how we are. Let me just tell you something. My wife was mean to me. My, my, situ- my boss, he doesn't, he doesn't appreciate me or value me, and he wears me out, and I don't like the lady that I work with because all she does is want to gossip about everybody else, and she's wearing me out. My kids, man, they're driving me nuts. They're wearing me out. All this stuff. You know how we are. <laughs> Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> you know, listen, you know how we're really good about practicing complaining, being, how many of you know somebody that's negative? You just raise your hand. You know somebody that's negative. Raise your hand real high. I know somebody that's negative. If that person's beside of you, keep your hand up. Y'all better watch out now. (laughs) You know, most of the time, people who are negative, they don't even realize they're negative. You know why? Because they have practiced being negative for so long that it's become a permanent fixture in their lives. And you can say to them, hey, man, you are negative. He's like, I ain't negative. I'm just keeping it real. (laughs) No, you ain't keeping it real. You're keeping it real, all right. You're keeping it real negative. 
know what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi is you've got to have not an outside in mindset, but you've got to have an inside out. Think about this with me. How else could Paul write Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7 when he said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your request to God with thanksgiving in your hearts. And then the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. That's an internal condition. He's saying you've got to have a thought process that's inside out rather than outside in. And the people that he's writing to, they still have an outside in mentality. They're like, well, Paul's dead. He's gone. It's all over with. He's in jail. He's been in jail for four years. He wrote us a letter. It does not say he's getting released. He hadn't even gotten a trial. We, Paul won't be able to help us again. It's all over with. Poor Paul. You, you know why? Because Paul had this outside, or, or, or the people of Philippi had this outside-in mentality. They, they, they had this, this, this outside-in mentality, and Paul's trying to say, hold on a second, you've got to have an inside-out mentality. That's how Paul could write, hold on a second, do not be anxious in anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. With thanksgiving in your hearts, present your request to God. Because if you'll remember on the inside, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He'll overcome what's happening on the outside. Hold on a second. If God is for me, then tell me who can be against me. That's an inside thing that goes against the outside thing. And when your inside thing gets better than your outside thing, you're going to overcome the thing that's coming against you. Why? Because he says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's not rejoice in the Lord sometimes. It's not rejoice in the Lord when you're winning. It's not rejoice in the Lord because you just had breakthrough. It's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it. And again, I say rejoice. So here's Paul. You see, he's talking to them about the fear that is present in Philippi. Because there was fear that was just so evident in Philippi. There's fear that's so evident in our culture today. How many of you know what I'm saying? Give me an amen. Paul knew fear. Paul knew fear. Paul had been stoned. Paul had been left for dead. Paul had been shipwrecked. Paul had been beaten within an inch of his life. Paul had been starved. Paul knew fear. He's addressing the fear that is present in their lives because he understood fear. <laughs> Five times I've been beaten within an inch of my life. I know fear. But he's saying you've got to make sure that you rejoice in the Lord always and again I you know Paul is like the thing that I know about the difficulties in life is all of the difficulties in life have only proven that God is with you this past week I was watching a television show and these people were going on this meditation trail and the lady that was running this meditation trail, she told this group of people, she said, when you start on this trail and you begin to meditate, your mind is going to begin to wonder. And she said, and when your mind wonders, you've got to bring your mind back. Somebody say, bring your mind back. Look at your neighbor and say, bring your mind back. Hit your neighbor and say, wake up, bring your mind back. something about Paul in this letter is only one time 
in this entire letter does he talk about his problem. He just says, I'm in chains. Not one time does he talk about the problems of, of, of the people of Philippi. Rather than them focusing on their problems, he does something different. He wants them to focus on their conduct in the problem. You see, fear and faith have a lot of similarities. Fear and, and faith really work alike. Because you know what fear is? All fear is, is you having faith that the thing that you fear is going to come to pass in your life. That's all it is. What is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Faith is believing that God is greater. Fear is having faith that what you fear is going to come to pass. So what Paul is essentially doing as all of these people are gathered around and they're reading this letter is he's saying, you got to bring your mind back. <laughs> you got to focus. You got to bring your mind back. Say it. You got to bring your mind back. But in order to bring your mind back, you know what you have to do? You have to make up your mind. It's impossible to bring your mind back if you haven't made up your mind to come back. <laughs> it's impossible to stop thinking about all of that stuff and focus upon rejoicing in the Lord always unless you bring your I've made up my mind. <laughs> I'm down and out, but I'm bringing my mind back. <laughs> my finances are all jacked up. <clears throat> Jesus, <laughs> I, I'm not in the place that I thought I'd. Jesus, oh, 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 I'm sick in my body. Jesus, oh, my job is not what I wanted. Jesus, oh, we're at Terry Sanford for four weeks when we thought we'd be here for two. Jesus, oh, hold on a second. It's Jesus. Why? Because when I begin to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, my mind comes back to the goodness of who he is. Why should I rejoice? Because he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I think, ask, or imagine. So I rejoice. I rejoice because he came so that I may have life and have it more abundantly. I rejoice because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I rejoice because I may be down, but he's not going to leave me there. He's going to lift me up out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock to stay. Somebody say, I rejoice. Everybody else, get on your feet. Just get on your feet. 